Okay, let's begin with the word of prayer. Our gracious King, who reigns forever, creator of the heavens, the, the earth, the seas, and all things that are in them, whether seen or not seen, that great I am, El Shaddai, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who was, who is, and who is to come. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and let thy will done in heaven be done in us, in our midst, in our church, in our country, and all over the world. Holy Father, we humble ourselves before your majesty, knowing that you are that sovereign God who controls everything. And if we are here, it's because you allow us to be here. You have our lives in your hands, and you, can, you do with them whatever you fit to do. So we give you glory. Having said thank you for the cross and the blood that was shed there for us, we pray that you forgive our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. So come and use me and my brother this morning to speak your truth to us from your word. Encourage us, rebuke us, correct us through your word, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, as we continue with our series in the book of Acts, today we are going to cover uh, verses 8 through 18 of chapter 14. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 14. And I'm going to read only the portion I'm going to cover, that's verses 8 to 18. Thus says the Lord. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the, the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycamonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who is by bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, the first part of chapter 14 that we covered last Sunday, that is from verse 1 to 7, gives us a brief sketch of the apostles' life and ministry at Iconium. Paul and Barnabas fleeing from Antioch of Pisidia, 
came to Iconium. Here they went into the they went into the, the Jewish synagogue, preached the gospel, and many people, both Jews and Gentiles, believed. Then the unbelieving Jews stirred up the city against the apostles. But they remained there still a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. In spite, in spite of the opposition. But later they fled to Lystra and Derby. And, and today we are looking at their ministry in Lystra. Verse 8 says, let me first join it with the previous verses so that we get, let me get from verse 4. But the multitude of the city was uh, divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia uh, and the surrounding region, surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So, as you know, whenever they could be threatened to be persecuted, they fled to another area or another city. And where they fled to, they did not fear. They just continued what they were doing, what they wanted to persecute them for. Yeah, verse 7 ends by saying, and where they fled, they were preaching the gospel. And now, verse 8, now oh, the story of their ministry in Lystra. And in Lystra, a certain man without uh, strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Yeah, so this is what happened in Lystra. Lystra and Derby were cities of Lyconia, a district in the Roman province of Galatia. Lystra was situated some 18 miles away, um, southwest of Iconium. And was the home of Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. As you know already, wherever they went, Paul and Barnabas looked for a Jewish synagogue first. Entered there to worship their God and also to get an opportunity to preach. But here, no synagogue is mentioned. And the question is why? This is simply because it's believed that Lystra had no Jewish population living there. Or if there were some, there were very few that they could constitute a synagogue. In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas found themselves in a totally new setting. Yes, no, no, no Jews that they could go to preach the gospel fast to. And, and if you read again throughout the ministry of Paul, you'll find that he also enjoyed speaking about Christ 
on the in the marketplaces. Yeah, reason why many preachers believe that he, he had gone or they had gone into a marketplace or any crowded area to, to preach. Here, they were facing pure Gentile pagans who knew nothing about the one true God of Israel, nothing about the prophet's promises of a coming Messiah. The Jews knew about a malefactor, guy called Jesus, was killed by hanging on the cross outside the city. So they knew that guy called Jesus. At least, at least they had an, an idea of someone who was killed, who was popular in, in, in Jerusalem. And they were just busy waiting for their, I mean, waiting for their own Messiah. But these pagans didn't know anything about even the malefactor Jesus. They were in their own world. Just as the healing of the crippled guy by Peter and John in chapter 3, the way that miracle opened the door for gospel preaching in Jerusalem, so here the healing of this crippled man by Paul and Barnabas opened the door for the gospel to them. Let's quickly look at some similarities and differences in these two healings. Remember, with Peter and the 11 apostles, God was introducing the gospel to the Jewish people. And with Paul and Barnabas, God was doing the same thing to the Gentiles, Gentile people. That's why you find similarities in the way Peter's ministry began and the way Paul's ministry is beginning. Yeah. Peter began his miracle by healing a crippled man. The same with Paul here. Let's look at the similarities. The two miracles were similar in that both men were lame from their mother's womb. Both men were unable to walk. And also the apostles in both instances had to fix an intense look at them. And finally, both men leaped up and walked. Exactly the same. They were different. You see some differences in the two miracles in that the Lystrian cripple Listen to Paul speak yeah, or, or preach while the Jerusalem people didn't hear any message preached. In Lystra, Paul achieves the cure by voice only. While in Jerusalem, after using the voice, Peter had to also lift the cripple with his right hand. So now, why, why are they putting attention or uh, importance to the, the details about the cripple guy? Yeah, because this is a miracle that the Lord wants to use to open a big door for the gospel preaching. And all these details are just to prove that it was not a fake miracle, as we, we know in Uganda, we have many, we are surrounded by many fake miracles. 
So that's why they tell you in verse 8 that this man in Lystra was without strength in his feet. They don't want to stop there. This, he was crippled from his mother's womb. And three, he had never walked. And everyone knew him like that. So, so that when the miracle happened, no one could say anything. That no, this is not real, this is fake. Verses 11 through 13. So now, the other details before we go to verse 11 is that this guy was somewhere seated and he first heard Paul preach while the other one in chapter 3 was just a beggar and he was there, he even wanted to receive something from Peter and John. And so we hear that Paul observed uh, this man intently and he saw that he had faith to, to be healed. So here you see again that uh, both spiritual and physical healing, that they move in the vehicle of faith without faith you cannot do anything with God verse 11 through 13 reads now when the people saw what Paul had done they raised their voices saying in the in Laconian language the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men and Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So here, everyone has seen the miracle. And it was something that they have never seen before. They were astounded. What's this going on? So again, remember, this is a purely, totally pagan, gentile nation or whatever people. <laughs> Worshipping small gods. Many of them. They are the God for water, God for drought, God for rain. So God for almost everything. They did not have a concept of one True God. And on seeing what had happened, immediately the worship of their gods came into their minds. All of them recognized that these are not men but gods who have visited them in, 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 in human form. So, this miracle caused the greatest astonishment among the inhabitants of the city who immediately concluded that they are all in their own vernacular. The gods have come down to us in, in, in the likeness of men. And when they said these, these words, Paul and Barnabas did not know anything because they could not understand the, the, the vernacular. Paul and Barnabas apparently did not understand until they saw the preparation for sacrifice that they were being held as gods. So now, the, the, we see that these guys went ahead giving them names. Paul they call Hermes. And uh, Barnabas they call Jews or Zeus or Zeus if you want. Now, who are these two gods? The, the Romans call them differently. The Roman Jupiter 
The Roman Jupiter was the most powerful of all the gods of the ancients. The worship of Jupiter was almost universal. The Romans called him Jupiter. The, the, the Greeks called him Zeus or Zeus. In Africa, he was called Aramon. And in Babylon, they called him Belus. In Egypt, he was called Osiris. So he's the same God. He's the same small God. He was known as the father of all gods and men. And they believed that everything was under his will except fates. Fates. Fate, fate, fate. Fate. What's fate in Luganda? I don't know fate in Luganda. It's in Tuko, eh? So the Roman, the Roman Mercury is the same that the Greeks are calling Hermes. Yeah, so if, if you might be having given some version of the Bible where they use uh, Jupiter and Mercury rather than Zeus and Hermes. Yeah, so this Hermes or Mercury was was regarded as the god of eloquence and the messenger of this Jupiter or Zeus. He was his messenger. And this is the reason why they, they had to name Paul under Hermes, the eloquent god. Yeah, he was the chief speaker. Thank you. And also theologians say that they, they, they also might have named, uh, because remember, Hermes is below Zeus. Yeah, Zeus was God over all gods. So the, the, the way, I think, the stature of, of Barnabas, he was a tall guy. He looked more serious guy. While Paul was a short man. So, so the, the, the way they saw Barnabas looking serious, they said this should be Zeus. Yes, and then this guy was speaking too much, this should be Hermes. Yes, so now, after, after recognizing without any doubt that there are two gods that visited them, among them there was one priest of Zeus. And his temple was just outside the gate of the city. He, he, he rushed and started preparing, organizing for a sacrifice. And he, he, he brought animals and gallons, gallons of flowers, forms of flowers, ready to sacrifice for these two with, with the multitudes. Verses 14 through 17. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. So now, when, when they saw the crowds now getting, I mean, being moved, I don't know, maybe they, they asked someone who interpreted to them what was going on. And they felt bad. They tore their clothes. This is a Jewish expression of, of grief. If, if, because this is only to be done to God, the living God. Unfortunately, 
We see many pastors in churches all over the world, not Uganda alone, receiving the glory that is due to God. Because they they teach their church members that we are also gods. And we've always told you that that's a wrong teaching not found anywhere in the Bible. We are not and will never be gods. Yes, so they they, they preach that. That's why some of them want to take that very place of God. Their church members consider them like gods. I'm I'm not telling you what I saw on television, but what I lived myself because I was there. We could even be doing whatever we were doing in church. If only the man of God enters, you have to stop whatever you're doing. And they always came late. Always came late. Obviously, you know, President Museven has never been at any function in time. Yes, that's one you, that you understand it in the public, those uh, worldly um, I mean, functions and titles. They, they want recognition. That's okay with them. So it's the same thing that they want to bring inside church. But if I reach there before other members, then no one will, is going to recognize my presence. They keep home one hour late. And then they come find you jumping and singing and sweating. So when one eye sees the man of God, you have to stop whatever you're doing. Stop, the man of God is entering. You start clapping. I also clap my two hands. Look at the the, the chairs they sit on in in the front. Eight million one chair like this. They cannot lift their own bags, handbags. If only they they feel hot and they start removing a a suit. Two or three men run on the pulpit rushing, running to get that suit. This is just a man. And I always say, if you knew that you'd be hot, why did you move with that suit on the pulpit? They, they, they want to be worshipped. But these brothers who are filled with the Holy Spirit did not want any glories from men. And listen to what they say. Crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. I can even add there, we are also as sinful as you are. We preach to you because he saved us. But that does not mean that we, we, we stopped sinning. We still sin unwillingly. And Christ covered all our sins upon himself on the cross. We are just like you. I wish these fake Ugandan pastors could be telling their church members that we are just like you. You don't need to stop what you are doing because I'm entering the church. They invited me to a certain pastor's, uh, they call them what, pastor's uh, meeting. They they asked me to to prepare a short word to share. I started preaching in the, in the, the, the middle of my message. A certain big guy entered, came late. It was not a church, we just, we just met someone. And the one who was leading us the service stopped me. Please, okay, I see, like, I don't want to name names today. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. This is coming a big man so fast. 
Pastor, first stop and we first welcome him. Started looking for a chair. Oh my God. I was started bleeding inside me, inside my heart. Because we believe here that whenever the word of God is going forth like now, it's God who's speaking, not man. We are simply, we are mere heralds. Mouthpiece of God that he uses. Because if we fetch from his written word, then it's God speaking. Then because, because clay is entering, you need to stop the, the, the word of God. I say, Lord, when is the church in Uganda going to, to get serious with, with God's affairs? And after, after that meeting, I told him, brother, I was not glad at all. And since then, I, I didn't go back to those meetings. What are you doing? If you are a, a, a servant of God here, like me, why do you want the presence of man? Why don't you be a simple person? Now, let's look at Paul's sermon here. You remember when, when he was preaching the synagogue in, in, in Antioch of Pisidia? We who preach had something to learn from him. The way he had organized this message. Do you remember what we talked about? A, a point of, 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 I mean, a common point. Your common denominator, something that will, will link you with your hearers before you, you, you part. In the synagogue of the Jews, he began by taking them through their history. Their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he came. And uh, all the people in the synagogue were nodding their heads in agreement with him. Yeah, so, you know, until when he had to, to leave them there to go to something that he wanted them to hear. Common denominator. And then he, he brought in Jesus. These were Jews who at least might have heard of him in one way or the other even if they knew him as a malefactor. But he came and told them that Jesus is God, is the Messiah. Now, and there he was, he was, he was I mean, he, he preached, what should, what, which word? He was lengthy. Because if you want to take to take people through the history and then you, you, you bring Jesus Christ and then you apply, then it has to be a long sermon. Paul's preaching here was his very first address to a purely pagan audience in the book of Acts. His message was different from his message to the Jewish community. There, he was quoting from the Old Testament. There, he was trying to remind them about what various prophets had said concerning the coming Messiah. But here, no one knew about the Old Testament, about the prophets or about the coming Messiah. Therefore, Paul had to change his technique, his strategy. Having known his audience well, one, Paul refrained himself from a long speech or a long sermon. 
Yeah, at RBC we preach long sermons. Not only here. All the churches like us all over the world. But why is that like that? It's because we believe that this is the most important part of our worship service. To expound God's word to his saints. So that if you sit here and you are not yet born again, you, you, you can be saved through the word of God. Or if you are already born again, you'll be encouraged, be edified, you'll be corrected. We don't give attention to money. And that's why our brother was just reminding you that on your way out, if you have anything you have, you can just drop it there. But you will not never see that kachibo move around in our worship service, no. This is the climax to hear God, our Creator, speak to us. So we have long sermons. But, but if you are a preacher from RBC, you need to understand your audience. Don't go anywhere and, and, and carry these lengthy sermons there. People will not benefit or might not benefit. Here we, we preach for a full hour and you see no one dozing, rarely. Because they are used, because they enjoy. In other churches, you just preach for five minutes and almost the whole church is now almost snoring. So you, so you need to understand your audience very well. There he, pre he preached a long sermon. Here he's going to preach a very short one. Number two, Paul jumped direct to the point. There he started by the history of Israel. Abraham came from Iran and this and that. Even our brother Stephen did the same. But here he jumped to the point direct. The good news here was neither, or the gospel here, the gospel here was neither of God's visiting them in human form, as they had imagined, nor it was of human beings with God-like abilities. That was not the gospel here. As many pastors all, all over the world want their church members to believe that they are human beings but in, in God-like form. But the gospel here was of the living God, creator of everything. Paul decided not to present Jesus here. Friends, are you seeing that? And you say, how can I preach without mentioning? Paul did it here, but for you, for you and me, I have no no reason not not to do so. Because many people have heard about Christ. So Jesus, I mean, Jesus did not appear in Paul's sermon here. So he was looking for a common denominator. Yes. What can, 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 is it that to link us with these pagans? And he decided to talk about God. Obviously his message here was he was preaching monotheism. Yeah, because these guys were polytheists. They had no idea of one true God. He decided to come with that message. And then later, he could, as you will see, we'll continue, we'll not stop here at verse 18, you'll see. Not that he did not bring Jesus in, just here. He decided to go like that. 
His message had three major points. One, that there is only one living God, creator of the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are, that are in them. That is verse 15. Read with me. We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. That was his first point. When you preach, Mr. Preacher, do you preach monotheism? Do you preach to people that this God is sovereign? He is the one who created everything. His second point was that this very God is also God of all the nations. Verse 16. He says, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He is the one who allowed you to walk in your own ways, whether sinful or not. Even you, pagan Gentiles, are his. That's the message he wanted to pass on to them. And the third and last point was the description of God's providential care. In verse 17 when he says, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good and gladness. So he is he's describing God's providential care. How he takes care of his creatures. Even if you hate him. Even if you hide under the umbrella of Christianity. You call yourself born again and everyone knows you as a born again Christian. But what you do behind the curtains, you are not a born again. You've never been, not even a single day. But still he provides unto you. And whatever you have came from him. But because you don't honor him, you don't worship him, you ascribe whatever you have upon yourself. I hear some people say like that. You need to have inborn what? What's that? Magezi. Does not work. Fear God. Yeah, because those who, who lift Magezi Amazali, they, 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 are, they are lifting and leaving God aside. Whatever you have, He gave it to you. Not because you read books. Not because you are too cunning, you know how to, to, to do those panya roads. No. He gives us rain as he has given us this morning. And this is the, the, the part of Africa you see sunshine after some time. Tomorrow you might see dust and you wonder, did it rain yesterday? Do you recognize that God is our greatest pro provider? You are ascribing your, your successes to yourself. It's sinful. That's, that was Paul's message. He wanted these people to, 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 to forget about their many gods. Know that God is one overall. So, so, so they, they would first, if they, they get that concept, then the next step would be to ask him 
or to ask them, and who is that God? Who is stronger than our Zeus? And then Jesus Christ would come in. A few points for you to take home. One, through the miracle of the, the crippled man, the Lord opened a big door for Paul to preach the gospel. The same God always opens doors for us to speak about him, but we don't use those opportunities. For example, your boss at work wants you to sin with him. To sin with him. And one of two things has to happen with this demand. Either you accept to sin against your God and get promoted, or you glorify Christ by refusing to sin and get fired. It's, it's sad that many people deliberately decide to put the glory of God, God under their feet because of promotion. And hence, failing to use the door the Lord had opened before them to talk about his great salvation. Yeah, he brought the, your boss to you. I love you. I want you to sin with me so that you could preach the gospel to him. But you, because you know that if I say you know I'm going to lose my job, you decide to put Christ down. Remember how the Lord opened a door to Joseph, son of Jacob, in Potiphar's house? The Bible says that his master's wife cast long eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie, lie with me. But he refused and said to her, okay, I didn't want to, so you see your, your, your husband put me in, except you, I didn't want to come, but his last words, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I know if I say no to you, I, I, I'm finished today. I know it very well. But there's God who reigns in heaven. How can I do this great wickedness which you chew like granite every single day and sin against God? How do you want me to do that? We always don't use opportunities God brings to our way to speak about Christ to our friends, to our relatives. Number two, the priest of Jupiter, or Zeus, his priest was zealous enough by his readiness to offer sacrifice to his false and dead God. After recognizing that his God was among them, he got busy wanting to sacrifice to, sacrifice to him. But you, the priests of the one true and living God always fail to offer your bodies as living sacrifice to him. And yet, that is the sole sacrifice he requires from you. He does not need your money or your houses. Check what he says. Let's go to Romans 12 just and you hear what he wants from you. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service? Oh, do you need to render to God a service that is reasonable? Not just to gather together and you start screaming like, like gods. And some walk here, others do that. And that's here, you jump, you give offer to you for one full hour. You reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Emmanuel is with us. He came already. As our brother taught us today during Sunday school. That the kingdom of God is here already and it's not yet there. Emmanuel came. God with us. He's here with us. If you recognize that Christ is here with us, what should be our response? That of the, the priest of Jesus. To be ready to sacrifice for him. You don't need a goat or garlands. But your own body. Sacrifice it to him. By not being conformed to this world. And you just want people to know that you are born again, but you offer an You just no difference between you and the world. Finally, in verse 15, Paul asked the Lystrians to turn from these useless things to the living God. And this was the, the, the title of my message, These Useless Things. What do you think he's calling useless here? Idolatry. Because obviously these guys who are, had started worshipping them, these useless things are the idols. Any worship of idols is useless. And you need to turn away from them. What is an idol, you may ask? An idol is one, a graven image. Or representation of anything that is revered. Yeah, so you, you make something into any likeness and you put it anywhere you want. And you believe that it conveys spiritual power. I, I know many people who still who call themselves born again still have it is. Whether you know it is, I think I know it is. Something that you put in Muchiwato in, in the West. Roman Catholics have got a statue before their church. They believe it has powers, it can do things to them. That, that's the first definition of an idol. But the second definition is any object of extreme devotion. Anything that takes a bigger percentage of, of, of your mind, of your time becomes an idol to you. That's why you hear people talk of movie idol. Yeah. Job idol. And God says in the our first reading of scripture, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3, you should have no other gods before me. The problem with the Lystrians was idolatry. The reason why Paul wanted to preach this one God so that they could 
stop the idolatry and turn to this one living God. Do you think there is any difference between us here and the Lystrians? I don't think so. You must say, no, Pastor, there is. Come and check me. I have nothing all throughout my body. I have nothing. Oh my God, we are full of idols. Your job, your marriage, your friends, your TV programs, your education. They occupy more time than you give to God. And the message of Paul still resounds with us this morning. That we are here to preach to you. That you should turn from these useless things of yours to the living God. Why don't you learn from the things that we watch even on TV? people with PhDs, with wealth, but die and leave everything behind. But you are still sticking to your job, to your studies. I don't say that you should not, don't, not give them attention. That's not what I'm saying. But don't equate them with the living God. Don't worship them. Are we ready to sacrifice to the King of Kings? Why do we delay? That's why we, we sang this hymn this morning. That Jesus Christ saves the sinners. Sinners Jesus will receive. Sound this word of grace to all. But you are not. You are not. You are busy working. Busy chasing degrees after degree. Next week, the Lord willing, we'll see the first persecution. These people will, will face it rough. So go, go and sound this word of grace to all that sinners Jesus will receive. Sing it over and over again that Christ receives sinful men. Make the message clear and plain. Speak it boldly without any fear. That Christ receives sinful men. First put your titles down. I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, I'm a singer, I'm a what? If you're a sinner, come. Jesus receives sinful men. Verse 2 says, come and he will give you rest. Because you don't have rest. Even in, in the house you built, you don't sleep with peace there. Come to him, he'll give you rest. Trust him for his word is plain. He will take the very worse. As you sit there, and you're saying, how, how dare I go to him? I'm too bad, I'm stinking. The, the message tells you that he, he takes the very worst. Now, th those of you who have been uh, uh, received by him, seeing the third stanza saying, Now my heart condemns me not. Pure before the law I stand. He who cleansed me from all spot satisfied its last demand. 
and the last, last, last stanza says, Christ receives, receives sinful men. Even me with all my sin, he received me. He will also receive you, don't fear. How can I share this with the pastor? Then his spirit has not visited you yet. Purge you from every spot and stain. Glory I shall enter in. Yes, I'll enter into glory. If you feel the spirit convince you or convict of you of your sins, we can talk after service. Pastors are there, your friends, you can go and talk to any brother or sister that you think you are free with. Tell them all along I thought I was born again. Today I have discovered that I was not. I have never been. And I want him to receive me today. Amen. Father, may you bless this word into our hearts. That you can use it to yield fruits. And to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.